Hello, this is Joshua Lipton. And this is Michael Lipton, and this is Just Talking. Just Talking. Thanks for coming back. Uh, this week we will be debating um, whether rap music is still any good, uh, as well as discussing the movie of the week, which was Dread. But first, let's move it over to Michael for some quick hits. What's, what's new in the world, Mike? Yeah, uh, a, a bunch has happened for me over the past week. Um, uh, it was my birthday couple days ago i'm gonna say like five days ago at this point which was um i didn't do much for my birthday but it was a good birthday nonetheless i spent time with rachel ate some good food relaxed i don't know i usually don't do anything for my birthday so this year it being you know in in quarantine wasn't all that different and that's kind of kind of how i like it i like a quiet birthday don't like making a big deal out of them uh the same day of my birthday i also uh uh, I'm done my job, so I kind of lost my... I, you could say I lost my job on that day, but it was just the the, the job was done. Contract was up, so that was done. Um, so now I'm a, a free agent again. Woohoo! Love Ooh. that. Um, also, I'm I'm just going to... A couple weeks ago on this pod, we, um, we spoke about throwing our name into the Wu-Tang Clan name generator to see what came out. And uh, Josh, did you do that over the past couple weeks? I did. And so I will no longer be referred to as Joshua Lipton. I would like you to for, refer to me now as the Wicked Ambassador. Wicked Ambassador. That one's pretty good. My name uh, is no longer Michael Lipton. It is now Master Assassin. That's pretty good, too. Yeah. Okay, here's my question. How many of these randomly generated things do you actually think they, they have? Like 50, 100, 1,000? Really I, I have like no clue. Do you think like there's a hundred other people walking around like, yeah, I'm the wicked ambassador? <laughs> I know I give it a Boston accent because it's wicked, wicked awesome. My boy's wicked smart. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I also threw my name into a DJ name generator, and that was definitely not as good of a name that I got. I got the That's name it. DJ Rehabilitation. What what? That's nice. That's good. I like it. I like really, I right now. I do not I like mean, that at all. I'm kidding. <laughs> it's terrible. Okay. So wait, it doesn't it even flow. DJ... Like DJ no, no. rehab DJ... would even be better. Rehabilitation is just too long. It's it's just put your hands up in the air for rehabilitation. No, that's my point. Are you a DJ for people in rehab? Is that what I'm? I don't know. I feel like I okay. I feel like it's better. To, to be a DJ for people who are on drugs rather than people who are no longer on drugs. True, that makes sense. Or maybe your music is is the cure to rehab. Like you don't need, you know, there's also like the, the seven steps or something. Maybe your twelve steps, but soul. yeah, the twelve steps, the twelve bass drops. <laughs> yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm. I think I'm just gonna give up on this music project of DHJ rehabilitation. I might revisit it somewhere down the line once I'm more established and just do it as a side project. Um, but who knows? Um, a couple other things from the past week. Uh, the NFL announced some rule changes. I know about some of the ones for what happens during play, and you said there were some ones that were um, discussed off the field stuff, but I'm going to talk about the on the field stuff, get your opinion on them. They've now announced that there's automatic replays for any scores or turnovers that are nullified by a penalty to check if the penalty is, a, is, is real just to to make sure that you know no one's touchdown is taken away because of a, a bad penalty call um and the other one is that kick returners and punt returners now have a little bit more protection um as a defenseless player 
where they can't be hit until they've had an opportunity to react in between catching the ball. So not as good as, you know, some other things that could be done to protect players on the play that results in the most concussions. But, I mean, it's, 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 it's something. Okay. We have to pause this conversation for two seconds. During all that, I was on, I was on a DJ name generator as well. It's called rumandmonkey.com, and they got their own DJ name generator. I did the whole thing. You know what my name came out to? What? DJ Rehabilitation. I'm not even kidding you. <laughs> I think it's just our last name. I think it just took our last name. I didn't. So I didn't even use our last name technically. I used my fake name. My fake name is Jay Lipson, which is like kind of like my real name, but slightly different. So. Like, I don't know what, but there was also, did you have like questions before that? that yeah, I was on the same one. I was on the same one. And I just, I just so. think that that's probably just a bad oh. DJ name generator site then. Okay. Yeah. So, I like it before we were saying, do you think they have 50, 100, 1,000? They got they four. One. They have one name. Yeah, they have four names for everyone. What does your last name start with? L? Anyone with L? Rehabilitation. Done. Easy. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't, doesn't matter about all those questions. And those questions were weird. They were like... What do you dream about? That I'm drowning, war and pestilence, or family and friends. I'm like, what does this have to do with my DJ name? It's like, how yeah. often do you work out? Like, I, this is a weird name generator. Sorry, back to the NFL. <laughs> yeah, so um, apparently there's a lot of DJ rehabilitations out there. Like a bunch of them. Yeah, no. <laughs> when you say it like that, it sounds like we need to rehabilitate DJs. Like, you've lost the music, bro. I mean, have you ever have you ever heard of a movie called "It's All Gone, Pete Tong"? No. It's a it's a movie. It's a, a mockumentary about a, a DJ who goes deaf and is is going deaf and uh, is losing to his drug addiction and trying to find a way to, you know, reverse these trends. It's a pretty good movie. Actually, actually, is it by the same guy that did? It's probably not, but it sounds familiar. It's not by the same guy that did. Um, I'm not even going to say it because it's so stupid. Best in show. No, it's not. That's Christopher Guest, and it's not by him, no. Yeah, he made another one, I thought, or maybe, I don't know. I was on he a, made A Mighty old. Wind. He made uh, yeah. a bunch of... Also, I was on a all w- of his movies Wikipedia had Fred Willard time. in them, and Fred Willard just passed away, which is, I know, sucks. I know. It sucks. It's sad. But did they all have him? I think pretty much all of them had Fred Willard. He was part of that Christopher Guest crew. I like it when directors kind of have their, like, staple of, like, I just really like working with this actor, and they just put well, them in everything. Like I Eugene Levy was it. part of that same crew where he was in everything. Yeah. yeah. But I'm saying, like, Quentin Tarantino has his guys. Like, uh, you know. Samuel uh, L. Jackson? Yeah. I mean, there's more than that. There's he's got Michael Madsen is in a bunch of them. Yeah. Tim Roth is in a bunch of them. Exactly. And I think, you know, it's clear that Scorsese has his guys. Like, I like it when there's just kind of a crew, I guess. Or even, like, what's his name? Um, what's the comedic one? Uh, like, 40-Year-Old Virgin and all that. Yeah, well, that was Carell and Seth Rogen and... I mean, I feel like Rogen Judd, and Frank Judd Apatow. And those guys. Sorry, that's... Yeah, Judd, Judd Apatow. Apatow. That's right. the name. He's definitely got his crew of guys. Um, yeah. We keep getting off topic. NFL. So to me, the, the rule about, like, I'm all for protecting players. So I think that's a good. But I also feel like it's, like, 
It's a pretty tough rule to. What is it? You have to wait until they can react. Like you can't I, I don't remember the in. exact wording, but it's they 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 have to no longer be a, a defenseless player. It's it's the same thing as as a defenseless receiver in the field, but now for punt returners and kick returners. Yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm less. I mean, I still still think they're like trying to put band aids on a broken system. I still say like punting is broken. Just start punting. Like we should. They should do what we said. Instead of punting, you get fourth and ten from your own thirty. That's for kickoffs. You, sorry, kickoffs. Sorry, sorry. This is for punting and kickoffs, or just punting? Both. Punt returners okay. and kick returners get it. It's just anyone who's receiving a, a well, ball I off still, of a foot. I still think they should be changing the system so it's only punting and there's like no kickoffs anymore. Kickoffs are basically replaced by punts. Yeah, they um I'm they thinking, they said that they reviewed that rule and they tabled it for now, but they're going to rediscuss it at a future time. Which I don't know if they really are, but at least they said they're considering it, yeah. but not I, to institute and, now. And I could be wrong, but I'm trying to think like in kickoffs. One, they always have time. Like, no one's ever hit as a defenseless receiver on a kickoff. Like, it just doesn't make sense. You kick it so far, I've never seen a guy try to catch the ball on a kickoff and get hit right away. Like, he normally has tons of time to run because you normally way out kick your coverage. So yeah, one, I don't know. Really Maybe if it's anything. some, like, weird super high kick as, like, a, a strategy thing to try and... I know, but I'm saying, have you ever seen it? No, I haven't. Okay, so like we're making rules that impact like. <laughs> you know, Actually, you know, people. I probably have seen it once on a, on a play where um, there was a penalty after the touchdown, so the team had um, fifteen yards forward, and then they were just trying to do more, like just a high kick that was that was shorter. You're right, it's probably happened, but my whole thing again is like it's, it doesn't really change much. Um, the other one that I heard about a rule change, I don't know if this was a rule change, but this was, uh, they changed the Rooney rule, which is, you know, you have to interview at least one minority coach. They changed that, so now it's you have to interview at least two minority coaches for head coach and at least one minority for a coordinator position. And then they yeah, also Aren't there also added, benefits for, like, hiring minorities? Yes, and if someone and on that, who's a minority gets hired away from your team, you get, like, draft picks and stuff? Yeah, Something exactly. Like so, and I kind of agree with, I can't remember who it was. Um, it was Marv, Marv Lewis? Is that it? Like former Bengals coach? Is that his name? Um, I know who you're talking about. I can't remember exactly what his name is. Anyway, he was saying he thinks it's bad because, you know, do you really, it, it kind of is saying, oh, you need to incentivize people just to look at minority coaches. And I kind of get that. Like, I've never been pro this is going to sound strange but i've never been pro like um affirmative action not because it doesn't do good it does but i feel like do their colleagues feel like they earned it does it create more animosity does it create i think it's solving again you're solving the symptom not the underlying problem if that makes sense so like it's not a terrible decision on its own but i feel like you know, we instituted the Rooney Rule a bit ago. It worked for a year or two, and then suddenly stopped working. So now, like, it, every four years, are we going to just have to keep upping the incentives? Like, you're not fixing the underlying issue. You're just trying to throw well, I, I think it, band I think this one actually on does it. some stuff to fix the underlying issue by trying to create more of a of a, a pipeline to get more people in the position where they could be hired to those by incentivizing some of the lower position ones and also, in you know, 
you're incentivized to have offensive coordinators or defensive coordinators both by you know the both both by being forced to to i mean not so much the forced interview but if your guys get hired away somewhere else you get draft picks so having those good quality guys on your coordinator team like does provide some other benefits okay the biggest thing to me like there's like changes that could easily make a difference so like um one big change is like one start all hiring at the same time like it's so stupid that you can hire a new head coach during the playoffs like the head coach the offensive coordinator for the chiefs bellamy i think is his name eric bellamy i I could be mispronouncing that um he he's african-american and he wasn't getting interviews because he was in the Super Bowl. So like a bunch of head coaching jobs already got filled up by the time he was even available to interview. I'm like, that's just this one stupid thing. Like forget about minority or not minority. I don't even care about like like this is just a stupid rule for all coaches. You're literally saying the less successful coaches, the coaches that got fired or are available because they didn't make the playoffs are available before the really good coaches. Like just start say no one can hire a coach until after the Super Bowl and I think that would make a huge difference in hiring and who gets hired like that's I, again, I have no evidence to prove that but it just seems like a weird system can you imagine if you could start hiring like signing free agents before this before the Super Bowl was done like wouldn't that be weird yeah that's I, I actually think it's a little bit different with coaching because with coaching your coach is very responsible for a lot of your off-season plans so you want to have that guy brought in before the off season begins, because you know if if you get to like the first day of off season, you don't have have your head coach or I mean I think it's the same with GMs. If you don't have that coach or GM in place, like you have no plan, and you can't really start making that plan until you have that guy there. So I think one of the reasons is you're you're really building your off season plans around who you hire for coach and GM. So you want to have that in place already. Just makes that more. You know, there's less wasted time in trying to put together a plan after the off season's already started. So I actually do understand that. But if if you want, I'm just saying, if 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 a team feels like okay, well, these are the better coaches, they're not forced to hire before the season ends. They can wait until after the Super Bowl. Correct. Right. If you wait, let's say you wait because you think this is the best coach, and two teams wait, and then one of them gets it, the other one's now shit out of luck. So the point is, you often end up hiring a lesser coach because you say I'd rather not end up shit out of luck and with no good coaches I'd rather hire my second favorite choice rather than wait and get my first favorite choice but everyone does that and so all the best coaches end up just waiting around and no and not getting again this is just I'm not saying this always happens or that's a huge deal I don't think it's a huge deal and I understand what you're saying that like you don't want to wait forever but I'm honestly thinking like didn't didn't uh, Houston draft without a GM or something like this or play half a season without a GM and like Bill O'Brien just made all the decisions for the last like it's not like this is like Bill O'Brien is essentially the acting GM as coach and that explains why he's he's not a good decisions that they I know but I'm saying yes this is why you want to have that guy in place because then you don't end up with a Bill O'Brien situation where you're trading away good players for for you know broken but, running backs know, and a second saying, round pick and then trading that second round pick for a worse wide receiver. A, there's no doubt that Bill O'Brien's an idiot. We're not debating that. I guess I'm saying that like some coaches chose is that, to and Is that not the only team that doesn't have a GM in place in time? 
Yes, but my point is that um, I still think that, like, you know, if you delay your coaching hiring by a month, is it really going to make that big a difference to your planning? I somehow don't. And especially... I feel like I, it I will, just because how long is the gap in between when the Super Bowl ends and when free agency starts? A couple weeks? If you get um, if it's if it's three weeks and then you get your head you get your coach in place uh, a month before the Super Bowl starts, you're doubling the time that you can get prepared for free agency. Yeah, but I mean, I still that's think all, that's a well, really big difference. I get you. I guess my point is like maybe you should say for a GM you can hire before, but like coaches no because a GM I could see like a GM is not actively making any changes during the last couple weeks of the playoffs. A coach actually has to focus on that stuff. So I'm thinking, like, maybe say, okay, if you want to hire a GM, GM, you can start hiring starting in playoffs. And coach, you can't hire... Because a coach, honestly, even though they do obviously make a difference, they are not doing all the legwork that the GM is doing or should not be doing in terms of free agency, in terms of um, draft, all that stuff. So I still think it's... I still think there's a little more wiggle room to, to hire coaches later than you think but anyway there's I like I think that the NFL's identified some issues that they need to improve I think the fixes are eh, I give them a, a B minus maybe on the solutions proposed I don't think anything is a bad idea I just don't know if it like does enough especially the the, the punt one like I don't know we'll see how that goes yeah we'll see um the one other thing that I have for quick hits is we talked about uh fixing the heist movie genre. Uh, so I've been thinking about how I would, if I were to write a heist movie, what I would do. And I kind of have an outline. I want to hear some of your thoughts on the outline for it. Okay. Let's hear All right. So it's set in the fifties or sixties. I know that you were like, why is it happy then? I just thought it was a good time to set it. Um, it's about an ex cop who couldn't bring down a, a drug cartel during his career. And um, after he's retired, he re- still wants to bring them down, so he hires ex-cons uh, to help him rob the bank where the drug cartel keeps their money in safety deposit boxes. There's no twist or reveal where, you know, we think it's one thing, but it's actually another thing. No. They just straight up plan the heist and execute it, rather than these, like, oh, you gotta show that it's, you know, we've misdirected you to make you think that they're doing the heist one way when it's acting the other way. Just straight up showing it. So, the, some rules that this guy has. He hires professionals. All of them are going to be middle-aged, no young people, so they're all mature. They're not reckless. They're all widowers with no children, so no family, no connections, nothing like that that can try and trip them up. Because if you think about heist movies, what always trips them up isn't the heist itself. It's interpersonal relationships, not related to the heist, but related to the people in the heist that always trips it up. Just get people who don't have much of a social life yeah and are yep um so it's a small team so there's fewer areas where things can go wrong um yeah and he also chooses ex-cons who have all uh are widowers or have no children because they've lost someone to drugs that this cartel has sold so that way they're all motivated for it and just come up with a good straight up heist and yeah that was that was kind of what i was thinking okay so I want to push back. First of all, I like the idea. But Aaron and I were talking about this the other day with, again, we we were talking about tropes in movies, and one's like the legal movie where there's always a smoking gun. You know, like, we, we just happen to be talking about 
legally blonde and how at the end she's like everyone knows that if you've been getting perms for 10 years you'd know you can't take a shower within a couple years and that's like oh, you're the murderer right some big reveal in the last minute um that proves your side of the, the argument in a legal case 95 percent of legal cases do not act like that you need to let 99.999 yeah, I, like... I know i don't have actual stats so i didn't want to be too aggressive but yes the vast like there's no smoking first of all you have to tell the other side all your evidence ahead of time let them go through it for discovery all this yeah so that's not, but then i thought okay but movies aren't supposed to be showing 99.999% of life. It's supposed to be showing the most exciting, most, you know, outrageous ones. That's why it makes a movie, right? No one's making a movie about John has a normal day. <laughs> you know, it's just not that interesting. Even though there is, like, I'll call it, there are art now where it's just, like, people doing normal everyday things. And some people like that. But I don't think it's, you know, it doesn't fit into the stereotypical blockbuster movie, uh, you know, framework. So I like your thought, but I was still thinking there still needs to be like, it's obvious why people always do these narrative devices where it's like, there's a twist or that because like, that's what's exciting. So maybe the only recommendation I would do is don't change anything, but maybe don't let everyone know why these people are hired until like slowly reveal that. And maybe the twist at the end is that the reason why all these people were hired is because they all lost someone to drugs. I love that part. But I don't think you need to tell that ahead of time. It's not really a twist. It doesn't change anything. It's not like, um, you know, the M. Night Shyamalan, like, you're doing a movie, you start with the twist, and then you build the movie backwards. This is actually just a good movie, but I think that might add more uh, emotional punch if you reveal that at the end. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, yeah. The, the one other thing that I like about it is he's an ex-cop, and he chooses ex-cons not just for that, but he chooses people that he investigated but could never prove anything with, so he knows that they're good. Having been a cop who tried to investigate these exact criminals, he knows that they're good at what they do. True. You know, and it I, gives him that sort of insight I information. I dig it. And I also agree with you about the 1950s, where it's just like before, you know, I'll say like uh, internet, like uh, information technology, and, and, you know, the current technology makes heist movies a lot more difficult to pull off in a realistic way. Because again, I, I said like the, the better payoff is just like, spamming people and hoping to get someone's bank account in or something yeah, that doesn't make but it good I, I still think I still I still think you could do heists today because you can just say well we're criminals who were trained from before there was just like trying to to fish emails so we don't know how to fish emails oh, we know how would, to do old school heist that would stuff. actually be so funny, that's still what we do that would be funny you know you can't teach a, an old criminal new heists but just listen, this would be funny an old group it's like a, I always think actually like there's also like the the heist comedy like i wrote a heist comedy or outline for a heist comedy film i thought it was pretty dumb but whatever it was you know it, it was anyway i won't go into it but i find here yes they're old but i think it'd be funny they pull off the heist and they get to the bank and there's just no money and they're just like just just mainframes in the back they're like what is this they're like that's where all the money is and they just like they can't comprehend the world today so even though they pull off this great heist nothing nothing happens like i don't know i think that could be funny yeah, well, it's all the money is in the computer. The files are in the that's, computer. That's exactly what I was thinking about when I said it. The other thing I'll say that this is just where my brain goes when you're like, also, all of them are widowers and none of because all the interpersonal things. All I want is like, okay, so we need to add some interpersonal. Uh, I, I agree. You want, you're like, 
heist always goes wrong because the interpersonal but I'm like but that's kind of like if everything goes right there's not as much drama you need like something to go wrong so I'm like I know two of the people are gay and they fall in love boom <laughs> gay heist I mean gay I mean could be but I, I, I just I just think that just if you make if you make the security around the safety deposit box is good enough and you make that you don't like, need really to add artificial to overcome yeah you don't need to add artificial difficulty. I agree. Like that's oftentimes I think, you know, they say, oh, my characters lock enough or my story lacks enough intrigue on its own. So I need to inject more intrigue via external forces, adding in a romance that complicates the issue, all that stuff for sure. I, I agree with you. Um, I think it'd be, a, I think it'd be interesting. And I agree. I honestly, the more I think about it, like, I know you said last week, you don't like genre like, I was like, oh, switching genres. I'm not saying always switching genres, but I like, like, old school. I feel like just making anything old school, I think, adds a lot of um, intrigue to heist films, to even to buddy cops. I feel like today with technology, I've been watching a lot of sci-fi shows lately, and I love it. And I love thinking about how the future is. But it also, it really does change. There's a lot of things where it's like, there's an easy loophole where you're just like, well, why did that happen? You have all this technology, but you don't have enough technology to just like lock your car. Come on, this is stupid. Um, or whatever it is. Like I've noticed a lot of shows where they have all this crazy technology in the future, but some small loophole where I'm like, come on, obviously that wouldn't happen. Um, so I feel like old school definitely is a good time period to set a lot of interesting movies. about. And I think the movies we like, are mostly character driven. They're not special effects driven. They're not, it's it's the characters drive the story. And I think that without a, the technology, you can focus more on the, the personal development of the characters. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's all I've got for quick hits. And I, I do think that, that you got to create some sort of interpersonal, you, you have to make the characters interesting to make people cheer for them. But I, I think what it should be is, there is these interpersonal things, but everything that our main character is trying to do is trying to reduce reduce that. So he's trying to push against this, and there that creates even more conflict because he's trying to he's trying to do everything to reduce any sort of interpersonal issues. And by doing so, he's he's making things more difficult than they need to be. It's true. And that creates. And it could also issues. be you could also add in that he's like afraid to open up and connect with people. Like, he doesn't even want to know their names or be friends because he's lost people in the past, obviously. And then the drug connection where, you know, people died due to drugs. I think, yeah, there's there could be some interesting stuff. Um, all right. All right. Uh, I, that's all I've got for quick hits. You got anything? Nope. On to the debate. All right. For the debate, uh, our debate for this week is, is, is rap music getting worse? Um, do you want to take a side or do you want to do a question? You can take whichever side you want. You start. All right. I I, I want to take that it that it is not getting worse. Okay. Um, I don't I don't think rap music is getting worse than it was before. I just think that there's there's more of it. Whenever you have more of something, there's going to be more bad stuff in there as well. We spoke about this last week with the buddy cops. When you know, the more you make of something, you might get more good, but you also get more bad. But I don't think that we're actually. I think we're actually in a really good era for rap music overall it's just there is there's a lot of bad in there but that's just because you have a lot being made overall it's one of the biggest genres of music being made now so obviously you have that much being made you're gonna have bad stuff but 
I decided to look over. So rap music went like the first rap single. When you think of Sugar Hill Gang, Rapper's Delight, that's 1979. So we can really say rap music started in the 80s as being a cultural force. That gives us four like neat decades that we can look at. We got the 80s, 90s, 2000s, we just finished the 2010s, right? So you can look at each one of those and say, okay, what, what good music was being made in, in those things? So I like to keep track of my, my favorite music from each decade. And I have a list of my 100 favorite albums from each decade. So I had to look at how many of them were hip-hop albums for each decade um, and how many different artists were making those albums over that time. So in the 80s, I had seven albums out of my top 100. The 90s, I had 18. 2000s, I had 15. And I found that the decade where I had the most rap albums and my favorite albums of that decade was the 2010s, the decade we just finished, which 22 of them were hip-hop albums. And it was also that... You know, there are a good variety. There are nine different artists who contributed to those 22 albums. So, I mean, it's, there's a lot of good music being made. And, uh, yeah, and there's a lot of talented people making it. So I, I don't think it's it's worse at all. I, I think it's actually just that there's a lot of it. And when you have a lot, sometimes you get garbage. Okay, so one, I'll, That's... I'll agree with that point because I made it last week. And I do agree that, you know, when you make more of anything, you're going to get more more crap. But I also think you actually have to look at, um, you know, one, you know, on that you said, you know, there's more good rap music now that was on your on your list of top. Well, you said there was also more music, more rap music. So of course it's going to make up a higher percentage if there's just more of it, right? If you get ten times more rap, yeah. you would expect ten times more good rap. But I I want to focus on. I I don't think you would. I don't think you'd expect ten times more good rap because. I mean, whatever. There's there's a ratio. The, there's a ratio. The, the the best people were probably going to make it. Whether like if, if the the best people in the '80s were probably making hip hop, best people of now are probably making hip hop. It's just as you grow it, you get more. You probably get less of the best, but you get more good, and you get a lot more bad because you just have a, a dilution of the talent pool. It's like when you add more teams to like a, a an MLB uh, to like a, a sports league, like the MLB. When you have eight teams, all the players that are in the MLB are going to be pretty great because you're just going to have the best eight people. Except at the same time, do you think the, the average player in the NBA is better today than in the average player in the NBA back when there was only eight teams? Yeah, I think they're better today, but because, I think that more has to do with diet and training and incentives. I actually think the bigger it becomes, else. the more people practice it and become good at it. When basketball only had eight teams, there was only so many slots, so there could, like you could not have that many good people because there weren't that many people. That's what I'm saying. There's more, there's more incentive because... To, to become good at it because there's a better chance that you'll make it. And also there's a lot more yeah. money in basketball today than there was For sure. when there were 18. There's a lot more money in rap. So yeah. the incentives are, are, are bigger. But I, I, anyway. I still think that when you have... My side of the if debate. You had, if you only had eight teams in the NBA right now, how good would those teams be? Yes, today, if you cut down. But that's not how it works. Like, that's the point. You don't just artificially make these numbers. Normally they grow along with the popularity. Anyway, my point of the debate is that I think that the biggest thing about why rap, what made rap special is that it was its own unique form of art. And I think, um, you know, it was similar to jazz and that jazz was like, they said that was the first American art form, truly American art form and had huge cultural impact. Um, I think rap, same thing. It was an American art form, huge cultural impact, was born on the streets, you know, told us the story of the streets and today 
Unfortunately, I think that it has lost almost, it's still very culturally important, but I think it's lost all deeper meaning or most of it. One, I think rap kind of all sounds the same today. Like I think people used to try and do new things and try their own styles. I think there's a lot, I'm not saying everyone, obviously there's a huge number of rappers, so I'm not gonna group everyone, but I think more and more people are trying to do the same thing and be the same style instead of trying to do their own thing. Um, I also think that, you know, unfortunately with science, rap has now become, I'll call it pop music. It, it has become the popular music. It is one of the, it's more, way, way, way more popular than rock. Um, I'd probably say, would you say it's probably the most common or popular, maybe first or second most popular music genre? Yeah, I think it is. Okay. I think it is probably the number one yeah. most popular genre and, and not just not just here and a lot of different places yeah. in the world. So it's it's great. I mean, you get with a lot of Latin rap and stuff like that as well. Yeah. Uh, Britain's actually got a pretty big rap scene as well, which is interesting. With pop music, they've, the reason why I think you don't like pop music and I don't like pop music is because they turned it into a formula. They basically said, here's how many you, you do these number of beats and you hit the and you hit the rhythm and people like it and blah, blah, blah. And I feel like rap has become so formulaic i feel like i so many of these songs some of these are sound the exact same and they're just churning them out like crazy and so one i find like again this is obviously personal taste but i thought at one point rap and i still think some people are doing it like kendrick lamar really is still telling a story with his rap i still do think that is an expression of himself an expression of the world he's born and live in lives in i find there's so many others that are just completely faking they are donning this rap persona despite not actually doing any of it where they say they're killers or drug dealers because they think they'll sell more albums and then it turns out they're nothing like that. Um, and I think that it is more about a branding and an image now than it is actually about like making great music, I guess. So I think that so many of the other things, the money has gotten in the way of the art. And I think at one point, listen, I also don't like, this is just personal, uh, they're still good. I, I Again, Kendrick Lamar swears and uses negative language but i feel like it's for a greater purpose i find some of the others it's like there's no i'm not saying wholesome rap was good because it wasn't but i think it was kind of dorky and fun and, and enjoyable and you could kind of listen to it is there any like is there any pg rap anymore or is everything just like super swear wordy I sound like an old I don't know man. it's super swear wordy, but I, I, I don't think that there's a lot of clean rap. I don't think there has been for a while. And to me, I that's mean, cheap. I don't think that's I, a super recent development. I'm trying to look, I know, but to me that's, look at my, my list. What was the last rap album okay. that I've really well, liked? Well, you look at that. That let, had no swearing on okay. it. Well, while you look at that, think about that. I'll just say, when we were at a, we were at a comedy club, and I, I said this on one of the former podcasts, but one of the guys, all he did, all his jokes, I just thought were swearing. Like, I have nothing wrong with swearing. I say, fuck, I say, I, I swear all the time. I don't care. I'm trying to swear less, it is true. But it's because I find that, one, when you say it less, it has more emphasis. You know? If you say fuck, fuck, fuck all the time, it loses meaning. When you say it only once in a while, it really has more uh, impact. And I find that this guy's jokes, all of them were like, yeah, fuck my, my fucking girlfriend, ha, ha, ha. And I'm like, that's not funny, you just, you just swore. That's not a joke. And I find that that's why I find rap is it's it's like trying to say something shocking or vulgar or extreme just for the sake of extreme, and it's it's all style, no substance. And I find that rap today, 
I can still enjoy it, but the it's so surface level. I find that there's no nothing deeper, and so I haven't found other than a couple people again, like Kendrick Lamar and old school older Kanye West stuff, which I guess was I don't know maybe it was still 2010s and probably late 2000s. That stuff really was I was vibing with. Everything else basically today, with the you know every once in a while I'll hear a song that I really like, but everything else just kind of uh, it's it's you know. What is uh, Fifty Cent say? It's like it's just songs to to break up buds to. It's like you can chill out and listen to it, but it's nothing that's gonna really like. I want to listen to it. It's something that you put on in the background when you're driving. Yeah, um, I'll say that I I think the last album that like looking I I can't be sure of any of the albums, but I feel like there's at least one in like the early '90s that didn't have a lot of swearing. I think that's the last time that there was a good rap album that I can think of that didn't have a ton of swearing on it or not even just a ton but like you know common swearing yeah. um, you get? Sw- there's I, nothing I, wrong i'm with going swearing. to really push back i'm gonna i'm gonna push back on on rap being very samey um because i'm looking at like the the nine artists who i had uh, from the 2010s i don't think any of them sound okay, right. let's hear. i don't think anderson pack sounds okay it's kendrick lamar kanye west death grips which is Never heard super of. weird yeah. and oh you should you, you actually know you would I think you'd hate Death Grips, but I think they're one of the most interesting. They're 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 just. I'm just gonna say I think they're one of the most interesting bands of all time. None of their albums sound alike. Their most recent release was uh, a sound collage album. It's they they just do weird stuff for the sake of it. Um, they're really good. I'm not, they're not just weird for the sake of weird. They're weird for the sake of weird. And I think they're one of the most talented rap groups of all time. It's it's just weird. It's it's a combination of, it, it, there's like punk and industrial rock and hip hop and hardcore. It's like hey, a whole bunch of stuff put there's together. A lot of things. They're super Music weird. Music is but, something I think you can't really describe. You gotta just listen. Yeah. Um, Death Death Grips is very weird. Very weird. Um, if you do decide to listen, start at like the Money Store is probably the best place to start. That's their first album. Really good album. Um, I don't think Vince Staples sounds like other people. I think I don't think Chance sounds like Earl Sweatshirt or Anderson Pack or anything like that. I think they all sound different. I mean, the, like the list, it's uh, it's 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 a pretty diverse group, I think, and I don't think any of those albums sound alike. And uh, I don't think that most of those guys are swearing for just swearing purposes' sake. I don't think. Chance is a swearing for swearing purposes sake type of guy. I don't think J. Cole is. J. Cole tells. Okay. He's a really good storyteller. Yes. I, I like. A big fan okay, of J. Cole, so of the ones you named, I like J. Cole. I like. Um, and so I say I like Kendrick Lamar. Um, I like Anderson Pack. Um, Vince Staples, I only know one song. I, I like the song, but I, I only know one song from him. I don't know any of the others. But again, like when I look at like the most streamed people, it's like Cardi B. Nicki Minaj, Migos, um, like, I, I literally remember having this conversation with my roommates in university, where uh, one of my roommates um, was like, oh man, have you heard the new Nicki Minaj song, it's so deep, like, it's so meaningful, he was reading in all this meaning, I'm like, I don't, I don't think there's, I think you're reading into it a little much, I think it's just her saying, like, I love the money, I use the money. I love the money. I get the money. Get the men. Get the money. It was like, it was really no no deeper meaning. And again, I'm not saying that there's not standouts in any single genre. Like I don't like 
uh, country doesn't mean that there's not going to be some people making country, but I find that like there's a cottage industry out there of people making music that is again there's nothing wrong with just making fun nice music but i find that it's it's like the way you make the music now for rap especially it's like you just got to make it go viral and i find there's a lot of soundcloud artists that sound identical that break out have a one-hit wonder and then never hear from them again that doesn't mean there's not standout salt like again i like j cole he's been around a while i like kendrick he's been around a while I, I like, um, who's the other one you name? I like Anderson Pack actually a lot too. Even though, I, I was going to say, I always think of him, you're right, what R, R&B versus rap, I don't know, I always think of Anderson Pack more as R&B, he, he's very, he sings as well a lot on his songs, he's not only a rapper, if that makes any sense. Yeah, um, but I, 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 I get where you're coming from on that, but at the same time I do think that they're, there's there's too much there's too much stuff that is very obviously not a mix between singing and rapping but it's just rapping and or, or like there's too much of that for it to just be classified as an R&B album to me cuz it, it there is sometimes where the line is like is this kind of like sing speaking or is this yeah. rapping sort of stuff like some kid cuddy stuff uh, it's hard to tell if if that's singing as much as rapping some of it whereas other stuff it's very clearly him rapping yeah, which by the way to me that I, has been, I think Anderson that has been a positive development to me stuff. which is that I think that there is more it used to be purely rapping and I think there is more like sing-songy rapping and I think that is pushing the the genre forwards and I like that I like well I, I that 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 to me is I, I'm I, I don't like a lot of what Cuddy's done in the past bit but I have put a lot of that back to Kid Cuddy he was the guy who brought in that very like confessional singing style that kind of got picked up yeah. by Drake and The Weeknd and, and Kanye when he did um, 808s and Heartbreaks, a lot of that I trace back yeah. to, to and Kid Yeah, I Cuddy. think that was the last, like, I, I think that was, I liked that development in rap, and then I think since then I have not liked the development in rap. It's what someone was, I think it was Snoop Dogg, was calling it the, the triptychs. No, the triplets, the triplet flow, that's the Migos thing. Yeah, that's the Migos. How it always. Yeah, that's that's the 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 triplet flow. But here's the thing: the triplet flow used to be. I will say this: the triplet flow used to be very rarely used and only for emphasis. Like there's some some Public Enemy songs where he's doing it in duplets until he gets to one point and then he uses triplet flow to go from rather than doubling the speed it's like one and a half times the speed but it like makes the, that next section hit differently it's really cool and sometimes uh chuck d would just throw in single bars of triplet just as to like mix up the rhythms and some guys are doing that but there's too many guys that are just straight i'm just gonna do triplet flow this whole thing where i like j cole's use triplet for for emphasis sometimes kanye it, Guess right. Kendrick uses it for emphasis occasionally. I like that. I like that it's the fact that it's becoming more prevalent. As long as it's not become, I don't like it when it's just everyone's doing it. But there are some people who are recognizing, oh yeah, this is a really something that I can use to 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 switch up my flow and add rhythmic variation yeah, I, by throwing I, in triplet flow off of a uh, duplet or. So I don't want the debate to go too much longer. So I'll just make my last point, which is. Um, it's related to again how I think people are and this is maybe more about art in general than rap specifically but I find that people are just trying to 
you think that the democratization of distribution, so like with YouTube and SoundCloud now, anyone can get out there. It's very easy. If, if anyone wants, thinks they have rap skills, there's stories of people who have no, uh, no agency or anything, and they just publish it themselves and they blow up. And good for them. I'm, I actually I think that's great. And you'd think that there'd be more of that. And you'd think that that would mean that there's more new, interesting, different rappers that you don't all have to sound alike. But I find instead what's happening is people are trying to game the algorithms. And they say, okay, which songs did the best? Okay, how can I repeat it the most, use same uh, verbiage? How can I basically trick the algorithm into saying, my song is like that song, so treat my song the same and bump it up the algorithm? And that's why I find that we're actually getting this huge convergence of media being more similar, not more different. Now again, you still do get different stuff, which I think is great, but I find that um, I, I was a little disappointed in how technology, I thought it was really going to open up and we we're going to hear so much new and different stuff, and I find that instead, it still is out there, but instead the algorithms are just promoting the stuff that is the same. And so I think that we're actually getting less novelty instead of more in our in our rap music and in our art and, and content in general. So um, I don't think it's rap's fault. I think it's just like all music, I think, and, and all art, I think it's uh, it reflects the time that it's created. And again, rap was created out of, you know, strugg the struggles of that time and it's morphed based on, you know, you know, the, the American I mean, it's, experience. It's, it's hip hop was wasn't really hip hop was more born out of uh less out of struggles more out of the a a, a cultural a Jamaican cultural thing with the, the sound system and that was then brought to New York and originally it wasn't so much struggle as much as a party thing and then it sort of started to morph it was that's getting more into the hip hop but it, it, into the history there. of that but it didn't start there. so it was a party that way. Right. it started it was a party. with yeah it was it was originally it was originally just uh, hip hop was designed around making the break loop. That way, you can get a better dance section going on for your parties, and then people would. Uh, it was this is getting too much in the history, but then you'd have someone who would, who would you know promote the the this party over it by by talking over it and in uh, camera what the actual thing was called, but it eventually became closer to rap. Everybody, it was, it was clap kind of like the precursor to the hype man. Everybody, clap your hands when I say clap. Clap your hands. That's that's my dream job. Just a hype man, just saying yeah. gibberish up on stage. Okay. I mean, <laughs> I I do think I do think we need more. I, I I would actually like to see a resurgence of the hype man, not just as part of like the live act, but as part of like part of the song. You know, the way that uh, Flava Flav was. Everybody, I mean, you went to Public Enemy because of the production and because of Chuck D. But Flava Flav just randomly on the track, occasionally saying just some nonsense gibberish stuff. But is that not just, always was just? Is DJ Khaled not the lately just the 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 the? He's his own biggest hype man. Like I feel like everything DJ Khaled. I'm like, what does he do? I feel like that's 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 what he does is just scream his name. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, Flava Flav would like say like weird surreal stuff instead, just like. Remember there's one where he made like a reference to Trick Serial in the middle of a song that was not about, had nothing to do with Trick Serial, but he was just like threw in Surreal, just like True. hype when man stuff. When you said Surreal, I thought you were going to be like, clocks melting on a wall, time is irrelevant. 
no i mean it, it, it's surreal in that it's just like why is this why is this happening but at the same time we're just like i get it i don't know i mean it, it's I, I feel weird saying i, I really like flavor Flav because i mean after he was done being part of public enemy he just turned into just whatever flavor flaves what, what was the name of his reality tv show do you remember it the flavor, flavor of, love of love or something like that flavor of love don't yeah. knock flavor of love he he kind of turned into a parody of of, of himself. I, yeah, I don't know. What, but that, but, but that kind of goes just back like, to my point. I find so much rap now is selling the culture of rap, not actually rap itself. It's this um, because people. I don't buy, think he was selling feel... the culture of rap. I think he was just selling the idea of Flavor Flav, which I don't Did think you? Flavor Flav is is like the Did idea you? of rap. I think Flavor Flav is just its own weird, unique entity that exists outside of everything else. But like. You know, it's selling, oh, what kind of clothes? It's, it's how can we monetize the entire industry? And it's like you're buying this this feeling, this rap. Oh, again, rap vibes. Again, I, I honestly feel like could be, I don't know. This just could be that any kind of art that becomes successful when it's thrown into the system is then how can we squeeze as much money out of it as possible? So, again, it might not be rap's fault. It might be the system's fault. But I find that it's just become... You can't trust the system. I took it and threw it on the ground. Do, 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 okay, do, do. hot take, and I'm sure people are gonna be like, "Yeah, of course the white guy thinks that." But honestly, Lonely Island is probably top ten favorite rap <laughs> groups in the last. 20 I, years. I would put I would put Little Dicky if we're going to go comedy rap by them. white people. I'd put Little Dicky above Lonely Island. I love them both. Because first off, honestly. it's much better rap. Lil Dicky is much better rap. It's like actual rap as opposed to like, you know, Lonely Island's not. But I still really enjoy Lonely Island. Um, again, I said top 10, but I was like, maybe it's top 20. I don't know. Like, I still enjoy them. They're clearly not like amazing, but like, I actually do like Lil Dicky. I do like uh, Lonely Island. But like, again, they're not like, I don't put them in the same. Like, they're not like the elite, the best of the best, but like, I think they're pretty listenable. They're pretty fun. And sometimes they actually have something to say, which I always like in my music, which is like, I always think it's funny when people sing a song and I'm like, do you even know what you're, like you're singing about the exact opposite where like they think it's about something great and like actually, like what's, what's the one? Um, there's a Bruce Springsteen song that everyone thinks is like really patriotic. Born in the really, USA. Yeah, born in the USA. And it's like the exact opposite meaning. I'm like, come on, man. Like, listen to the words. Yeah. Anyway, uh, any final comments? Um, no, I'm I'm still I'm enjoying hip hop. I think that there's, as long as we don't let mumble rap, trap, and SoundCloud rap, SoundCloud rappers take over and just be the thing, we're in good hands. And so far, the I I'm finding more than enough hip hop that does not fall into that. That's new, interesting, and unique. So I'm still happy about that. Um, My comment yeah. would be that I don't really 100% agree with my side. I'm kind of, I don't also agree, I don't know. I, I Like to me, saying if it's better or worse, I think it's purely a judgment because it's clearly impossible to prove. It's, 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 some people like it better, some people like it worse. I also agree with your point that, you know, there's more of it, so there's more good and you can just ignore the bad. But I also do agree with a lot of my points that were made. I don't think that makes it overall worse, but I do still think like, um, I think that certain factors of the system have made it so that music is becoming more similar and more and you're hearing more and more of these same types of sounds 
and I think that might hurt it in the future. But right now, I'm still excited to listen to some good rap, and I still do. Uh, you know, whenever there's a weekly discover, do you do week- weekly discover on Spotify? No, I don't. Um, I I oh, find most of my music not through algorithms. That's that's the thing. I I maybe it's just because I'm not using the algorithms to find music. I'm trying to find it in other ways. Uh, I go to the the site that I've got like my my music ratings on. You can see what other people rated music, um, and you can see what are the top rated albums of each year. What artists? Uh, are Why can you say that that's not like an that. algorithm? I mean, it still is. It's it's not. It's 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 an, it's an accumulation. It's not an algorithm. It's just people took their okay, ratings so IMDb, and then you average it. Except that's not it. Almost all of them. Like I'll take you. IMDb, for example, weights people's ratings differently based on how many ratings they make, as well as what movies they've actually rated previously. So this one doesn't for ratings. Uh, the only thing that it weights is how recently you for for the overall list it does it based off of your ranking so essentially you have to make charts of uh of like your top 100 albums the only thing that it waits is how recently you did it if a if a chart is 20 years old and hasn't been updated in 20 years it puts no weight to that whereas if it was made yesterday it puts weight to that just because new stuff is coming out all the time how can you say these are the best 100 albums of all time if you haven't put anything in from the past that's still. You don't even have to put anything new in. You just need to say edit, confirm again, this and then matter, it will refresh way, it. It's still an algorithm. I don't care what you say. Like it's weighting different things. Now again, I want also to make sure that you know. I don't think all algorithms are bad. Again, the weekly, the Spotify weekly playlist, I actually think does a really good job of uncovering music people never would have heard before. Um, so like I listen to some songs that I really love, and I check it out, and I go, oh wow, this song only has. 7,000 plays ever and it's on the same playlist as you know some like major hits that I love from like you know, I don't know Red Hot Chili Peppers with 180 million listens but it says oh we think that the algorithm spotted some things that we think are similar here so we think you'd like it so I actually think it's great um, the way it works every week is kind of like a different I don't say theme but like some weeks it's like okay this is the classic rock one okay we noticed you've listened to some jazz here's a jazzy weekly discover okay this one's indie pop this one's rap so every couple weeks I get a rap one and I like it I always hear something new and like that. Um, the algorithms I find people are most likely to game are Google, YouTube, and Facebook. Those are the three ones where, like, I don't think you can game the Spotify album because it's just saying, like, this song is like that song. But YouTube, you can actually do a lot, and I think that there's a lot of fuckery with that because there's big money to be made in it. But uh, that's, a, that's a side note. But, yes, I'm sure it's also... I mean, it's also great to find new music on your own but i really enjoyed weekly discover and that's why i one of the biggest reasons i still have spotify and haven't like i've had friends say oh switch to apple music switch to um prime music switch to this i weekly discovers huge for me i i love it you should give it a try yeah i i don't know i don't listen to a ton of new music each week um i i mostly you know, I'll, I'll go back and I'll be like, oh, this is an artist who I've heard about and I find interesting, so I'll listen to something else by them. But I, I, I don't go just like, okay, let me find some random singles to listen to. I'm, I'm an album-oriented guy is part of it. So Weekly Discovery, you where you get like one song from this person, one song from that person, doesn't do as much to me because I'm, I'm an album guy. I agree, but make album. me a promise. This part of this podcast, part of the thing was like we're doing new things, we're trying new things. So one thing I love, we've watched new movies that I never would have watched, or like I've had movies on my my list for so long and I never watched it, 
And eventually I'm like, you know what? I want to watch it. And this has given me an excuse. Same with, I'm sure, a lot of things. Um, so how about you promise me next week you will listen to Weekly Discover and we can discuss that next week. It's, it's a good and, excuse okay. to try. If, you, if you're going to give me, I have to listen to a, a Weekly Discover podcast, I'm a, a playlist. I'm going to assign you something to listen to. Sure. I want you to listen to... The Money Store by Death Grips, just because I All think right. it will be interesting to hear your opinion. All right, so we will both listen to uh, Money Store. Is it an album? It's an album. Death Grips. Okay, I will listen to them, and you will listen to Weekly Discover, and we will convene again in a week. Yeah, I, I don't know if my Spotify has enough information on my listening habits to give me something unique to me, because I do most of my listening not on Spotify, but just off of uh, like music that I have. So I don't do a lot of my listening on that, so I wonder if it even has enough information to give me relevant suggestions. Well, it will, I'll, I'll see what it, it suggests it to would, me. Well, that's part of the intrigue is like, I think the more you, the more, it's the same with Netflix, where like I was talking to a friend who said, oh, this movie, Netflix recommended a movie for me, and it was terrible, but it said 96% match for you. I said, do you give it thumbs up or thumbs down? He said, no. So I'm like, so it's just basing on what you watch. He's like, yeah. And I'm like, do you ever quit a movie if you hate it? He's like, nah. So I'm like, so you're just watching shitty movies and it's recommending shitty movies for you. Like, he watches a lot of Netflix too, my friend. So, um, you know, I, I, I want to give the algorithms, like the more data you feed it, obviously, the better the, the algorithms. It's got some good and bad things. Again, like Spotify, I don't mind it. Um, some things, like I'm like, I've been using Facebook for... Uh, the Bark and Crib business a lot lately. And it's like, A, it's made me realize, like, I always knew Facebook was super powerful, but now I'm like, oh, fuck. They know. It's like, it's 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 definitely like, I want to give Facebook as little of my data as possible. I, don't, I just don't trust them. I don't trust Mike Zuckerberg to use that data properly. Some some companies, Spotify, I go, okay, so the, what are they going to, they're going to recommend more s- sick beats to me? Like, I'm kind of okay with that. Facebook, I feel like, has, like, more nefarious uh, <laughs> goals or, or aspirations, maybe. All right. Um, I'm, uh, I think that's been a pretty good debate. All right. Uh, movie of the week time, you think? Yeah, let's do it. I have notes. All right. You, so, so you we assigned us to... So watch Dread, which is a, yeah. was a 2012 movie starring Carl Urban as Judge Dread. I'll give a quick recap. Um... It's the future, and we are in Mega City One, where crime is running rampant, and the Department of Justice sends out judges to uh, dispense justice and deal with criminals, and they are judge, jury, and executioner. They're part cop, part judge, part badass army person. Um, He is assigned a rookie, and they go to a slum where they have to... Um, dispense justice in their own form. I'll just—I don't want to do too many spoilers, but that is the quick notes version, cliff notes version of of the recap. Anything I'm missing? Uh, no, not. I, I mean, no, you're not missing anything about about the the story. But I, I just think that you really that kind of glosses over what makes the the world of the judges super, super, super problematic. Okay, so let's which hear. is. Um, so, I mean, this, this isn't explicitly stated as much in the movie, but it, it's, it's, it's said in the world of, of the judges 
And so the the history of that world is that essentially uh, there was a military coup in which the judges t- took over the government, abolished all civil rights, destroyed the de- the um, constitution, and esen- uh, essentially built up a, a military junta where they perform, you know, executions in the street whenever they okay, want. So and want, that's who the judges are. I want to just make one thing clear. So that is, I will say, that They're is a not, dictatorship. Fine. That is not at all in the movie. You are taking outside source material. Well, okay. Even without that, there are a group, the, the judges are a group where there are no civil rights, where you're not, you're not, there's no jury trial, there's no evidence, there's just people are sent out from the government to perform, you know, just executions of the, of the population whenever they deem it necessary, right? That is, and I those mean, guys who, not just you know, kill, everyone, kill the yeah. citizens whenever they feel it is necessary and just is the good guys. That is I don't think there's like the most messed up world possible. Okay, for starters, I think you're missing... Okay, I think you are missing a few things. I think you're really jumping over a lot. So one, I think the whole point is that he sees the world in black and white. There are criminals, and a crime is a crime, and, every, and citizens you can leave alone. And I think that's his world. And his rookie co- partner, who he takes under his wing, shows him that it's not like that. That's the whole development of his arc. Is that he sees that she show she shows him that there are people that committed crimes, but they are a product of their circumstance. That they are not just criminals because they're criminals. People aren't just criminals; they are made to be criminals because the system put the, them there, or other people forced there's them. There's no evidence that he actually learned that. Like the only the the only thing that would suggest that he learned that is that he doesn't chase after. Domino Gleason's character. Uh, I would disagree. The same character that, okay. to kill them. It's the only time that you could okay. possibly say that anything was learned. Incorrect. And that you could really just put down to the fact that, you know, is, is that really worth his time when there's a bigger priority there? And they've shown that they can prioritize certain crimes over others when they right. don't uh, arrest the guy for vagrancy. Spoiler right? alert, he passes her despite the fact that she fails. Why does he do that? Because he realizes that she is actually dispensing a better form of justice, I think, that he realized. He or thought, it's because he realizes that she kicks a bunch of ass and that's all that matters, that in the end she'll get the, the bad guy killed. Except if he was really that black and white saying, hey, this is right or wrong, I, I think, okay, anyway, this is the beauty of movies is people can come to different conclusions, but to me, I think he, it shows that he sees people as, as just criminals and she, she, she clearly is the heart of the movie. And that she sees, you know, people that are loving parents at home, but because they're in a, you know, in a slum, that they, the only way, what is it, Petrie's has 96% unemployment. So what's the only way to make money for your family? Gotta do, gotta do some crimes. And guess what? It's either you yeah, do that or you die. Yeah, and she still shoots that guy in the face I when know, he's no threat. She, and yet she felt remorse. Because, she shoots him in the face when he's not a threat. I know. Because, because, because he of told that. her. What and is the lesson felt, learned here? Okay. Exact, but she, but a she felt regret and she didn't want to. He told her to. Again, he is he is the bad. I don't think he's the good guy. He's a badass. But I don't think you're supposed to be cheering for dread. Like yes, kill those innocents. I don't think that's the point. I again, I see it much differently. I'll tell you why I love the movie. There's five reasons. One, I think it gets you into the story pretty damn quick. It doesn't need. It does have a little exposition when you very first start, but after that, I think it does a good job of showing, not telling. Two, it's short and punchy. It doesn't have this long, drawn-out um, thing. It's, you get right into the action quickly. 
which I love. It's got a unique visual style. There's a lot of slow motion. There's a lot of big explosions, bright colors. I don't like how some sh movies now, everything's like, looks like it's dirty and dark and damp. This is like beautiful pinks and whites and reds and yellows. Three, I think that it is, one thing I hate about movies is often when you're trying to like save the world, they're not. They're trying to get out alive. It's it's like purely a very small thing. This is supposed to be, they said there's 150,000 crimes a day in Mega City One. We can respond to 6% of them. And this is just one judge. This is, hey, this is one little case in a much broader world. And I think that it, it's, it's showing you the scale of it. That Listen, I'm not saying that, so I, I like that too. So there's a lot of things. And again, I actually thought found the world interesting. I'm not saying I found the world uh, uplifting. I think it's saying this, I think this is a pretty depressing world. I don't want this world to be the world that we live in. But I think this is saying, hey, this could be a world that we live in. That if crime got so out of hand, I think it's a cautionary tale. That's how I see it. Now, but I'm also open to different interpretations. Like I even wrote here some notes. And one of the notes I wrote does does more intense policing lead to deadlier criminals or vice versa? So does do police forces getting deadlier mean criminals need to get more deadly or does it create deadlier and more dangerous criminals or does more deadly and dangerous criminals lead to the police force having to escalate to keep up? I think it's the first. I think police are the leading cause and they cause more dangerous criminals because I think you look around the world and you I see where where police forces are have less deadly force the criminals are also less dangerous. So again, it is a chicken and egg situation. It's pretty tough to prove, but I think there was an interesting point on that, which is that did the judges actually cause or part of the problem in that this is why these criminals are so dangerous is that because the judges use such extreme measures and when there's such extreme measures, criminals feel like they can take such extreme measures too. Again, I saw that- I think the judges are responsible, but not mostly because of the- um increase in weaponry but because they are literally the 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 government and they have 96 percent unemployment in in large swaths of the population and have no nothing nothing done about that except sending in someone to to kill the bad guys in there that's their only the only effect the only thing that they're effective at doing is killing bad guys and i mean some of them don't even do that the the form of government is so so terrible that you know there's like we we see how many people who are judges over the course of the film seven so eight we see eight judges the two guys who are left at the door who don't go in um anderson dread and the four corrupt judges yeah so 50 percent are corrupt and then, right and then, oh, so oh, half of the judges that we see are, are on the pay of criminals and they are the government that that does correct. everything which again i wrote but mostly killing their their population okay i'll read another thing that i wrote ready which is that uh People will not believe in or follow a system that they don't trust or believe in. And I think that's the case. Like, when you when you don't see... First of all, they said, we don't get judges down here to peach trees often. Again, I can see that being an allegory for there's, there's slums where people call in murders all the time and they just... The police don't respond to those the same way. These underprivileged neighborhoods, you know? And so, A, they don't trust the police force there as much. There's also... They don't trust it because they've seen corruption. Like, I think this is a... This is showing what a broken system looks like. Again, I don't think that this is a positive, oh, look, wouldn't it be awesome if this... I don't think that's the case. I think it's an awesome movie visually. I think the, the kill scenes are awesome. There's lots of really cool uh, visuals and special effects. 
But I don't think this is like a world saying this is a world we want to live in. This is a terrible world to live in. Like you said, um, you know, I think in this one it said, I don't know about yours. I know you said your background was like there's, they took over. I know the, the background I thought this was like there was a giant bomb that blew up and everyone had to rebuild inside this world away from the radiation. And that's how I... And that doesn't explain why you had this but military coup essentially take over the government as being, you know... Well, my understanding was that the government was outside the radiation, so suddenly someone just needed to form a new government, and their goal is just to keep as much law and order as possible, and that they're trying their best, but they're pro- probably... It's the whole thing. You think like, Mega City One is outside of the like, control of a government that exists? Uh-uh. A, a, a city and a no, no, like I'm a saying, population that large is not like it's Mega. It's not Mega City Seven. It's Mega City One. It's the number one Mega no, no, City. I know. Right. I. That's not my point. Yes, I'm saying okay. There's the U.S. The U.S. is normal. Then a nuke blows up ninety percent of it or whatever, and there's only one area which they then call Mega City One. And then people try to rebuild that city. So I'm saying the main government, the actual government prior to this, was outside destroyed. And so the people who then took over the government in Mega City One were probably just trying to keep law and order. Because after a, after a, you know a nuke blows up half the world, I'm assuming the number one thing is like prevent looters, prevent you know just get people food and water and basic necessities and all that. And again, I think that. It's showing that a broken system. If everything looks like, if you're a military regime, your your cure for everything is going to be let's kill the bad people. That's not the right, but that's clearly not the right system. You need like jobs programs. You need hey, how can we get people fresh drinking water? How can we give them a purpose? Uh, so let me understand. Let me Again. let me just understand. Mega City One was built after the nuclear destruction. You're saying that is my understanding. So how long has it been? Because uh, to build a mega city of like this size and this amount probably would take a long amount of time, especially if there's no pre-existing infrastructure because everything was destroyed. How there long has this Justin's apartment been no, around is... just murder? Like, are we saying that this has been a hundred years of just, you know, military junta killing population? And in that time, they I, couldn't I fix know, any of these problems. And we still have, va- in that say... hundred years, we still have vans that look like they're from the 1990s. They even say it was rebuilt in the ruins of the old city and if you watch in the first scene it shows there's normal blocks of like regular houses and even apartment buildings and then these mega blocks just popping up out of nowhere like it is literally like they took like i don't know let's take uh atlanta i'm just gonna take atlanta because it was called peach trees peach trees reminds me of atlanta it's like they took atlanta and a lot of atlanta was knocked down and then they just built giant towers in the middle of it yeah but how long would it i'm saying how long would it take to do that to I, to I, the remnants of right. Atlanta in in a nuclear wasteland. So it's not like we even have ideal posi- like conditions for building a mega city from scratch. Like you have the Agreed. worst possible conditions in which to do it. So that's got that's got like that would take a hundred years. If all take like if, if everything is destroyed in a nuclear wasteland, and you have to build again, that's like a hundred years to get to that. Let's say at least. So that's how long this has been going on. They still haven't fixed anything, and somehow the cars still look like they're from the 1990s. Listen, I think it also shows a lot of um, the power of inertia. When you start with something, you just keep going with it. Like, I feel like it's very, like, Aaron and I were talking about this recently. Um, we weren't talking, like, political change. You're making major changes to political systems. It's very tough. 
And I had a friend who said, oh, we should just start from scratch. We just got like, and I'm like, what do you, what do you mean start from scratch? She's like, you know, just like get rid of the government, overthrow them and like start again. I'm like, that makes like, it, isn't it easier to implement small changes? Sometimes it's actually not. Sometimes it's very difficult to make small marginal changes because of the existing systems in place. Like Obama said in the US, he said, if we were to start from scratch, I would rather start with like um, government sponsored healthcare. But because we don't, we're just gonna put in Obamacare. And I think he said it's, he realized it's very difficult. I'm not saying it's impossible, but I think, I think it shows that like, if you have a system in place, it just perpetuates that one system. And so I think the judges, again, I think they're a net bad, but they just perpetuate themselves because judges kill people, people then act out. They're not creating more jobs, which leads to more unemployment, which leads to more drugs, which leads to the need for more judges, and it perpetuates the cycle. I'm, I, again, I find it an interesting world to dive into. Not a good world, not a world I want to live in, but I found it a very interesting world to take a look at, and I really liked it. Yeah, I, I'm not saying it's not an interesting world. And I'm not saying I didn't enjoy the action scenes. I'm just saying that to me, it's abundantly clear that the judges are evil. Just they're evil. They are an evil system. See, and I, I really think that if we like, if I were to set a movie in this world, it would be about a bunch of people who rise up against the judges and kill all of them because they're evil and need to be destroyed and replaced. See, and I disagree. I I disagree. And I think that's the part about this, which is like, if there's a terrible system and you agree it's a terrible system, but you think you're doing like I think it's about a man who's thinks he's trying to make a difference and he's trying to make a difference in this way, but it's not a good way. And I think that's the interesting part. I don't even uh, think again, he's he thinks person. he's making a difference. He ha- he he speaks to her about the percentage of calls that they can do and get to, and essentially says that what we're doing is futile and that we're not really making any difference. Like I remember, Sorry, like, making a difference maybe was the wrong term. I know. So I'm saying, but like, so what drives him? Just the need for justice. Like he thinks he's dispensing justice. Maybe. He justice maybe he life. thinks he's dispensing justice. Maybe he's just evil, and this is the system that allows him to kill people with with government sanction. You know. And I don't think so because, like, okay, here's an example. Um, like he doesn't just kill random people. He only. First of all, even when the guy, he said, oh, this guy's part of the murderer. She she has telepathic powers. She reads that the guy was uh, was there during the murder. He said, are you sure? He said, Not, 99%. He said, well, I can't execute him then. He's saying, I can't kill this guy, even though I'm 99%. He said, you want to confess? I'll, he'll save me paperwork. He'll kill the guy. But he's not going to do it unless he's 100% sure. So I don't think he just wants to go around killing people. I think he literally sees it as his duty. Again, I'm not saying that's a good or thing. Or maybe he thinks that I'm the only saying, way they'll let it's... they'll let him continue killing people is if he follows the rules of when you're allowed to kill people. And if he breaks Clearly the rules of when you're allowed to kill people, they'll make I'm... him stop killing people. And so he understands but in I the long think... run, to get the most killing of people done, I need to just like wait until it's a hundred percent instead of ninety nine and then I'll be able to shoot him in the face. Completely untrue, considering we just talked about how many people are corrupt and just don't follow the rules, and yet they're still kicking it. So I clearly think he has a, a his own belief system, which he strongly believes in, whether you agree with it or not. I don't think he's just, he does not indiscriminately kill, and he follows the rules not because he has to and he wants to keep killing, because he truly believes he's doing the right thing. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't, he, I don't, I don't think it's justice. because I don't think he just indiscriminately wants to kill. But I really don't see him as, as like, I don't see him as much beyond just like, at at most vaguely principled, um, 
And I, I really, I don't know, maybe he's a victim of the propaganda, but I don't think he thinks he's making a difference. I don't know if he, he thinks he he's doing the I right thing. I agree that he doesn't think he's making a difference. I, I, I just, I, I don't understand. Like, I just, I just have so many issues with this world that I can't, I can't in, in any good conscience watch this and be happy about anything that any of the judges do. Except for like maybe Anderson, and and even then she still shoots the guy in the face. So, I mean, yeah. So she's irredeemable because she shot the guy. I'm not saying she's irredeemable. I'm saying even her, I have like some issues with cheering for what she does. Like occasionally I can cheer for her. Like pretty much she lets Domino Gleason go, and that's like the only good thing she does in the whole movie, right? I don't think so. She, what else does she do that's good? She often says, like, first of all, again, going back to the whole thing about the system, Dredd immediately says, you know, we're here to dispense justice, nothing. Like, she's talking about how she wants to make a difference. He says, like, this is, like, crime comes from here. Like, these, I want to say he says these people are worthless, but he's talking about, like, the area. He says, I, she says, I grew up in a block just like this, and I know there's lots of good people here that are just in tough times. I, I think she, again, maybe they don't show it enough. It's a pretty dark movie. I'll say that. It's not like a, I don't think it's supposed to be a light, a lifting tone. But I think a lot of her discussion talks about how she believes in people. She sees people that they can be good, that they are good, that there are good people. And, um, and again, she says, like, she's the hopeful one trying to say, like, I'm trying to make a difference here in this, in this tough world. Yes, the best thing she does is definitely releasing. It, it's not the best thing. I think it's the only thing that she does that differentiates her from the from from the actions of any other judge. In terms of actions, not in terms of what she says. In terms of her actions, that's the only thing that she does that's different. And and yeah, and that's because I mean, even even if it's even if she were exactly like Judge Dredd, if Judge Dredd had the information that she had, you could just say that it was coercion. And that's it. And then, therefore, he's not guilty. If he had been guilty, Judge probably would have shot him. If, but I think if Judge had the same mutant ability, if Dredd had the same mutant ability as, an, as Anderson and saw what Anderson saw, he, he wouldn't have shot, uh, um, what's his name? Domino Gleason. His character doesn't have, have a name him. even. So he's not even that really important of a character. He doesn't even have a name in the whole movie, I don't think. Um, I would say he's probably the f- sixth most important. He gets the six month screen time, maybe se- sorry seventh, yeah, uh, fifth or fifth or sixth. Yeah, so I, I mean, so so I think really the only thing is Judge wouldn't have shot him either if he had Dread wouldn't have shot him either if he had information just because it wouldn't have been a hundred percent certain that he was guilty, and so there's really no no really no action that differentiates I, her. See, She's just the same I as the rest think, of them. See, I don't think so. I I think you might say that. But I think that's partly like thematic, where again, she's he he only sees the outcome. She sees what led to him. And again, the whole analogy of the meat grinder, if you remember one of the guys says, the city's a meat grinder. People come in, meat go out, our our job is just to keep turning. It's like it's the system that causes it. You know? And she's joining the, the people... system and signing up and he's he Correct. dread well, is like so the number one face of the system, isn't he? But this, but this gets back to how do you implement change when it's difficult? Do you tear down the system or do you join the system and try to make change where you can? And she's saying, I try to make change where I can. And I think she did some good. 
She let someone go. She hopefully showed um, a, a block that doesn't get a lot of policing that they can, that, hey, we're here for you. We'll back you up. Like, you know, you don't need to go to cr crime. Like, I think that you're, it's again. Does like, that help with the 96% unemployment rate, which is really the underlying issue? No. I agree with that. I agree. But so it's she hasn't good. fixed anything. Again, you can't... She's done nothing of any value except release Domino Gleason's character. Ugh. That's the only uh, thing of value that she does in the entire thing. I disagree. I think it's, listen, I agree with you that you need structural, structural changes to fix. What you need is revolution need... in that world. I'm not, I'm not calling for think... slow incremental change. When you have a dictatorship where civilians don't have any civil rights, you don't need slow incremental change by changing the system from within you need to cut off the head of, of this monster and and destroy it and and make sure it never comes back again here's my question and i'm saying this not for this movie but i again i'm a huge fan of sci-fi i love thinking about the future and how our current technologies will shape that future like what do you think has led to the 96 percent unemployment do you think it's the changes, like, do you, do you think something that judges it, or do you think it's some fundamental change where, hey, listen, we can't go out outside these barriers because of a nuke. There's no resources, and we have the technology now that, you know, lets us, you know, certain jobs are just being automated. So, like, we just don't have need for all these people. Um, like, I, I, I you could say that, but then like why would has... that be localized to Peachtree as, like, this this building is a slum, but a lot of the other buildings aren't. If it was such a systemic thing, you'd see 96% unemployment in general, not 96% unemployment well, located here. Which I do think there's probably a high unemployment rate across the city, but I think, yes, maybe some of that's systemic, but I think more of that is that you have a government that is founded upon killing its population rather than helping it. I think that's the big thing. I don't think that they have any effective government governance structure outside of that. Because we don't actually hear about any of the rest of the government. We don't see anyone else that's from the, this form of government. Like, Correct. really, again, essentially I'll, you have I'll a government founded on, we are able to kill you if we want to, because we yeah. think that you're doing something wrong, and nothing else. That is the foundation of an okay. entire system of a government, and that's what leads to a 96% unemployment I'll rate. I slightly disagree with you, because, again, I don't think it's... You can't, we can't just kill you if we think so. Again, there are rules... But yes, there's clearly like if you break the law, like he says, some things are like. Oh, yeah, but who makes who makes these laws? Life. Who I makes said, these laws? There's no well, democracy. You can say the these same thing. laws are made by the judges, anyways. So it's we get to kill you if you break the laws. Also, we make the laws. So. I don't know if the judges. I don't think Dread makes the. There might be a separate council that makes laws. Who know? Again, we don't know. We're talking. I on believe in the comics. Know, there's like a agree. council of seven that that makes the laws. Fair. I will 100% agree with you on one, which is that the basis for this world, and again, this is like the whole philosophy I think of this, is like when everything's a hammer, or when you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. The whole thing that they're trying to do, instead of like the only thing they can do, I think is they just keep trying to like dispense quote-unquote justice in violent manners throughout the city. And they try to say, oh, if we can stop a violent crime, we've done some good. I think that's the point. You can't just put a Band-Aid on it and stop the violent crime. You have to fix the systemic underlying issue. Again, I, I think we even talked about something like this similar earlier with the football where I said, like, you can't just put a Band-Aid on things. I know they were, it was less serious, but here, yeah, you can't just kill bad guys and shoot them in the head with a 
awesome exploding grenade gun, which is dope. Yeah, it was you very cool. That. It was. Uh, this is what I'll say. This yeah. movie is. This is this movie is kind of like Dirty Harry if Dirty Harry wasn't about how problematic Dirty Harry is as a character as well as being cool. Oh, I thought you were gonna say and was in the future. Yeah, I mean he he kind of is like a future Dirty Harry, but this but this movie does not at least think of itself as controversial. It just thinks of itself as this is cool. It's it's like if you watch Dirty Harry, it's just like this is Dirty Harry is a super cool movie. Clint Eastwood's character, but, but is super problematic and Harry... it's aware that it's problematic, but is still a very cool character. Whereas this is just yeah, like took questions. none of the problematicness and just took the coolness and made it way more extreme. Three questions. One, when did you first watch Dirty Harry? Or last watched Dirty Harry? Or both? Um, I last watched it probably around four years, three, four years ago. First yeah. watched it when I was a lot younger. Okay. Do you think people in the time when it was made thought that the whole point was Dirty Harry's problematic? Yeah, it, there, there was a, millions of things pieces about it. It was one of the most controversial movies of its time. 1971 was a movie was a year just full of really controversial movies also that was clockwork orange dirty harry and straw dogs i think all came out within a couple months of each other and caused a massive uproar in reaction to to these movies like this was like a big thing related to dirty harry was a lot of uproar against it true i was gonna say one other word thing but i i i can just look it up and maybe i'll i'll bring it up next thing I can't do the research right now, but I want to look up the use of... You know Google lets you see, like, the use of certain words over time? Yeah. I want to look up how often the word problematic has been used over time. Because I have a feeling, I don't know why, that it was like... This is not a word that was used very often in the last... I could be completely wrong. Completely wrong. could be out to lunch. But I feel like it's a word that's come into... Vogue in the last 15 years. Especially. I think it's more prominent now, but I, I I don't think that things were just accepted. I think more things are seen as problematic now because I think part of that is that, I mean, people have more social awareness related to certain issues and that has led to, to people reassessing certain things and things now are seen as problematic that weren't seen as problematic then, but there was still stuff that was seen as problematic before, right? For sure. I'm not saying there wasn't. I'm just saying, I guess, it feels like that that so much now, we like we can't just enjoy things or like say, oh, that was an interesting movie. We have to say, here was the issues with it. I, I cannot tell you how many movies I feel like, oh, that was a good movie, and then I'll read a think piece that says, like, here's why this movie is problematic. I'm thinking, like, I didn't think any of those things. Maybe I'm out to lunch, but to me, I was like, what was the one with Amy Schumer where she, like, she it's basically the nanny professor i think or it's like a shallow how like a, a little but like in reverse where like she bumps oh. her head and then she thinks she's pretty uh i feel pretty i think it was just called i feel pretty something like that i feel pretty where it was like you could watch that movie and just like enjoy it as like oh it's a silly amy schumer comedy where she learns like that beauty's on the inner and then i read all these articles that were about like why it's so problematic oh amy schumer casting herself and this and that i'm like can we just enjoy it for what it is and not for what it's not? Like, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I will say, I did enjoy this movie. I just I just can't, I can't fully embrace it. That's all. I enjoyed yeah, the movie. The was action my... was awesome. Bye. The stylization was really cool. 
I thought slow-mo as a drug is one of the coolest movie drugs that we've seen, and the way that it was visually portrayed, everything sparkly okay. as well, was just amazing. I thought the action sequences were extremely well executed. I thought just on just ignoring everything else, is Dread, cool? is it cool? It's absolutely cool. Now here's my question. Do you even think, even though I know you find it problematic, do you think it was problematic in an interesting way? In other words, it led to some interesting discussions or is it just like yeah no it's just it's just i i don't think i don't think it's uh, as aware of its problematicness as i i think i think it relishes in some of the stuff that makes it problematic more than it should uh and i don't i think That's it fair. leads me I, I don't know if the movie leads to some interesting discussion as much as if something's problematic and then you're like, oh, then then you can talk about the fact that it's problematic. Is that leading to interesting discussion, or is that just being problematic? There's stuff that's problematic that leads to interesting discussion, but I think some of that stuff is doesn't analyze it. Like I think Wolf of Wall Street is an inter- is a movie that leads to interesting discussions, and is his character is very clearly problematic. But I think that movie is a lot more aware of the problematicness of his character, right, Jordan Belfort. I don't know. I think that, well, I do, but I also think they both relish in the excess. Here, the excess of the violence, and there, the excess of um, his drug and and sexual habits. Like they both revel in it, and they ne- never do they say that there's anything wrong with it or bad. They never condone them. In fact, the one time, and this is why I love Wolf of Wall Street. At the end, when you think, oh, he's going to get his comeuppance and he's going to go to jail, and he goes, no. I went to a country club jail. I played tennis. I had a great life. And then I left. And you're like, oh, so there was no consequences or anything. So Yeah, but I, mean, I, I, I think, think that the movie at least led you to feel like there should have been consequences for him, right? That he uh, was, like, it, it doesn't explicitly condemn him. But it, it. I think you come out of that movie with the knowledge that he was wrong and that the movie was aware of that. I don't think it explicitly states it, but I think you can tell from that movie that Scorsese does not think this guy is a fucking hero, right? I don't know. I I, I think we are supposed to do that, but I don't think Scorsese's saying it, or if he is, I think it's very, very little. But I will say, I definitely think this one does not... I think both people people revel in the excess, but is that saying more about us, or is that saying more about the director? Also... I looked up, I finally was able to look up the use of the word problematic. It is a crazy chart. It's like nothing, 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 nothing until like 19, I was kind of wrong on the timing, like 1960s. And then it goes parabolic up until, it actually peaked in 2000. 2000, it peaked and it went up how many fold? So like 20 fold or something over that time over the 20 ish years 30 years from um from the 70s to 2000 so so it started increasing in like just in the early 70s yeah that was when it like the hockey stick started and it like kind of only didn't start real i mean it starts taking off it's really exponential i can send you a picture but it's like whoa it goes okay. crazy so when i said that 1971 was like an important year for the 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 dis- in- increasing discussion about things being problematic would this say that that's probably around things starting up would probably if you looked at 1971 that could that be the year that things started to uptick 
it, it started a little before that, but, like, that was the year that it kind of really started. Like, I don't know. It's like any exponential where you're like, where does the real starting point, you know what I mean? Like, you look at a graph and you're like, you know, you might say, oh, it doubled the 10 years before that. Yeah, but it went from, like, 1% to 2%. But if it doubles from, like, 50% to 100%, like, it seems like a much bigger... So it was part of this beginning shift. It was be- part of the shift for sure. Um, okay. And it's it's that bottom part of the hockey stick. You know what I'm talking about when I say, like, the hockey stick? Yeah, yeah. Stick chart? So it's, it's that curve where it's really starting to take off. Um, yeah. And then just straight up after the 80s. Like, basically, like, it's pretty cool. Um, so I was a little off with the timing, but I did feel like, I don't think that word was used that much, like, way, way back in the day. But anyway. Um, any last comments on Dread? Um, no, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a really cool movie. I just... I, Would I, you watch a Dread TV? There was originally... Uh, Carl Urban was supposed to star in a Dread-based TV show called Mega City One. Would you watch it on Amazon Prime? Is it is it just like... Is it a serial where... Because, like, in, in the comic books, like, characters come to understand, like... I, is there is there the type of development where he starts to to question the system, like in a serious real way, or is it just him dispensing justice? Which one is it? Because it was just it if it's him dispensing justice, the show. I'm yeah, I'm sure that's a good time killer. Where it's just like yeah, this is cool action. I'll I'll, I'll check into this when I got nothing else to do. If it's let's actually you know think about this and let's see how this character changes when confronted with the possibility that he's. In, in the wrong and, and does he does does his character grow from that in a in a major way where he starts to believe that the system is wrong if that's the show i think that could be a really good show that's kind of a lot of like some of the comic book storylines are, are essentially that but i mean yeah it, it's which one of these is i get you i don't know and i do i mean part of me goes like does every show have to upend the system um, cause I, but like at the same time, like I agree that that's like the right way to do it. Like in some ways I've always toyed with the idea that like most, most shows have like, uh, a happy ending, right? Where like, oh, the, like I, I'm literally like just gonna say like all the hunger games and adult fictions are like, oh, there's a dystopian world, but we, we revolt and we, we, we rise up and, and bring back the natural order we start rebuilding right and it's hopeful and part of me wants to go like i was reading a book have you ever read uh sapiens and that whole series by uh no you ask me have i read it so often it's 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 the same level of asking me how much of westworld have i seen yeah well you gotta watch westworld you definitely gotta read yuval harari books they're amazing anyway he says you know we always say that progress like that like history we progress and we're always going to get better and now this is the history is the story we tell ourselves to justify the way that it is like maybe the world we live in is actually cruel and we're but we're so in the system that we don't see the cruelty again we do often we obviously see a lot of the cruelty but like we're hidden from it because the system wants to keep going and he's saying that like there's nothing that guarantees that the future is going to continue to be good or just or anything like that like sometimes actions which we can't even predict the outcome lead to 
a future which again you couldn't predict and is bad for in, in a lot of ways and so again not saying judge dread is a good future i don't think it is but it's like i sometimes toy with like the way the world would change um let's wrap things up because i think my uh my headphones are dying <laughs> yeah um so i'm going to say um that's all i got to say about dread i'm thinking uh let's talk about what we're going to be doing next week we've got uh i'm gonna listen to a spotify weekly suggestions playlist you're gonna listen to, gonna listen the, to death grips the money store and uh then yeah. next week we've got a debate about should the nfl move one of its franchises namely the chargers or jags to uh, an international city of note such as london or mexico city um, and I'm going to pick the movie of the week for next week, and I think we should watch Contagion. Sounds good to me. Yeah, I'm. Uh, the one thing is I'm going to need to find a time to watch it, because Rachel has said that if I try and turn on Contagion when she is anywhere within, like, 50 kilometers of, of a screen showing it, she's just going to run away and hide under the bed, so... So maybe we'll do it... To, maybe we'll do it... Uh, you can come over or something, and we can watch it together. From social distance, from opposite sides of the couch. Yeah, um, I th- I think now that I now that I'm not working, I'll be able to find a time where Rachel's out where I'm like, okay, it's contagion time. Let's watch uh, let's watch some Soderbergh movie. It's good. Do it. Sweet. All right. Okay. I um I I, I feel like it's kind of silly to ask, but did you have a secret word this week? No, I promise I will have one one week, and you're gonna be like so shocked. But no, not this week. I did not use mine this week, so. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, I th- well. I think that's everything. Let's uh let's get some contagion going around. That sounds like uh, what everybody wants. Yep. Let's let's hope this podcast is contagious. Uh, anyway, this has been Ambassador Wicked or no Wicked Ambassador. And this has been Master Assassin. You've been listening to Just Talking. Just Talking. See you next week. Mm-hmm.